Welcome to the podcast series, Withers Talks Art. I'm Diana Warbicki, the global head of the Withers Art Law Group, and I'm delighted to be hosting this podcast series. In these podcasts, I have the pleasure of asking art-related questions to my Withers colleagues from around the globe. With me today is Charles Kolstad, a tax partner in our LA office. Today, we will be discussing the global expansion of art galleries. Before we begin our conversation, I would like to remind you that everything discussed in this podcast is for informational purposes only, and we are not providing any legal advice. Hi, Charles. Nice to have you here. Glad to be here. Our topic today is global expansion of art galleries. What we're seeing now is that a lot of these galleries, it's not only just a one-stop shop, it's a brand that they're developing across jurisdictions. We work with galleries that are in New York, but they can also have a presence in Hong Kong or California or London. When a gallery comes to you and says, we're based in California and we're thinking about opening up shop in the UK, what are some of the initial things that you're discussing? The thing to keep in mind is if you operate through a legal entity you had left in the tax analysis, if you operate through the existing US entity, you go right. If you go right, and you have what we would call a branch office in the UK, then the US entity now needs to file its own UK tax return. It needs to allocate its income between the US and the UK. It needs to register for a UK employer ID number, a VAT number. It needs to be able to withhold Social Security. And in many cases, the U.S. entity doesn't want to have to file a U.K. corporate tax return. So that's why you go left, you set up a U.K. subsidiary, it files its own tax return on reporting whatever income it's earned, and now you get into having a sort of management services agreement or some form of agreement between the U.S. entity and the U.K. entity that sets out how compensation is going to be paid between the two to reflect the fact that people in the UK may be working and doing things to help market efforts and activities of the US parent company. Having that second entity set up probably makes your life easier on an ongoing basis in terms of what you need to report to these two jurisdictions. And also, it may not be high on people's lists, but by having a separate legal entity, you potentially have liability limitation advantages that you wouldn't have, and so you're not exposing the assets and the income of the U.S. company for things that go bump in the night in the U.K. We started this by talking about the U.S.-based gallery that expands abroad. Is there anything different that you're thinking about when you're asked by a U.K. gallery that wants to have a presence in the U.S. and move to the U.S.? Same analysis or anything different? It's largely the same analysis. You have the same issues of if the U.K. company has its own office in New York, now they have to file a federal tax return, a New York City return, a New York State return, allocate their income. That analysis is largely the same. The one area where there is some difference is on the transfer pricing side. 
it used to be when the U.S. corporate tax rates were 35% that there was a reason to have less income in the U.S. and more income in the U.K. where the rates were in the low 20s or even less. Now that the U.S. corporate rate is 21%, there's less of a difference between the corporate rates. So the transfer pricing issues, if you have inventory in the UK that you move to the US to sell, the transfer pricing analysis is not as difficult as it used to be. We get asked quite often, well, I'm paying tax. It's not like I'm trying to get out of paying tax. Why is it so significant who I'm paying tax to? The whole issue is making sure that if there's $1,000 of income, you're only paying tax on $1,000, not paying tax in California on $1,000 and paying tax in New York or in the UK on that same $1,000. And particularly when you are coming in from a foreign country, they may be able to use any U.S. tax that they pay to reduce, let's say, their U.K. or their German tax, but they may not be able to use any state tax. To the extent they end up paying state tax in California at 13 or 8 percent, that may be a leakage that causes an additional level of tax because they can't use it to reduce their UK or German tax. We've talked a lot about the tax issues, but when we set up the process in place, you discuss your tax structure, you set up your corporate structure, there's still a lot of practical things that need to happen in that process of setting up the business in another jurisdiction that tend to come as a surprise. I use bank accounts as a common example that when we set something up in a new entity in Hong Kong, we always get the next follow-up call of, well, how do I set up a bank account? How do I do that? It's not as easy as I thought it was going to be. Are there any other surprises that you see that typically come when setting up structures in new jurisdictions? The key thing that everybody has to keep in mind if they're U.S.-based expanding overseas is what I call know your client and anti-money laundering rules. If you set up an entity in the U.S., you call your lawyer, the lawyer fills out a form, company is set up, you're done. If you try to set up a company in Hong Kong or in the UK, it's a much more complicated process. They have to go through who is the ultimate beneficial owner. They often want a copy of a passport. They want a letter of reference from a lawyer. They want a utility bill. They want to know what your home address is. There's a lot of disclosure to the lawyers in the foreign jurisdiction to the government in the foreign jurisdiction. If you set up a company in the UK, they have reports that have to be filed from a corporate law perspective with the company's house. The fact that in the US you can set up a company and be up and running on day three, that is not gonna happen in a cross-border context. It will take weeks if not months to get everything set up and people need to plan accordingly. One of the things that we see that art galleries continue to have to think about when they're operating multiple jurisdictions is who is conducting the sale. 
we will often have a situation where a gallery in the UK, for example, is representing an artist and the representation agreement with the artist is with the UK gallery, but then the New York gallery may decide that they want to have an exhibition of that artist's work. How do we address these issues of sales happening in different jurisdictions, artwork being moved from different locations? What are some pieces of advice you would have? The thing to keep in mind is who owns the art that's being sold? Is it coming from the artist? Is it art that is owned by the gallery and in their inventory? If you have art that's owned by the gallery that's put down into the U.S. and is sold, depending upon the relationship between the U.K. gallery and the U.S. gallery and the documentation and the people doing the sales, the U.S. could say that the U.K. now has what they call a dependent permanent establishment, meaning now the U.K. is treated as having sold the art and needs to file a U.S. corporate income tax return. If the art comes from the artist, then there's less of an issue there. But if the art comes from the gallery, careful consideration needs to be given to that. Careful consideration in all aspects of what we're talking about, of setting up these companies and the ongoing business that these galleries are doing in a number of jurisdictions. I think we're going to stop it there for today. And I want to thank you very much, Charles. It's been a delight talking about this art topic with you and to all our listeners out there. Thanks for listening. And if you have any follow-up questions, please feel free to reach out.